friends, welcome to this episode of the MakeWell podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's practicing creativity in their daily life so that they can live a life of purpose and passion. Each week, we'll be interviewing Midwest makers that will unveil the behind the scenes of their journey and lessons along the way. We hope their stories help you live a creative life and inspire you to start today. Hey makers, welcome to the MakeWell podcast. This is Ashton and today we're very excited to have a special guest to the podcast from Sioux Falls. He's an entrepreneur, culture builder, and an amazing speaker. He's also a husband, father, runner, and a major twins fan. Please help me welcome today's guest, John Meyer. Hey Ashton, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Calling in from Sioux Falls, it's great. Yeah, yeah. We're merging the Dakotas here, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I know our last season we had Hugh from Sioux Falls as well, so it's nice to get that collaboration. Yeah, we're we're friends, right? We got a we got a Dakota. Us Dakotans need to stick together. I still have clients (laughs) all the time. I can't count, you know, how many on two hands how many times they're like, "Oh, how are things in North Dakota?" When you get the small talk by email, and you never know if how do you correct them or you just kind of roll with it, you know. Yeah, they just kind of lump us together. <laughs> they do. They do. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I got to oh. be nice now because since last time I came, to, uh, I can't remember which event it was, but when I spoke at the Makewell event a couple of years ago, now my brother lives in North Dakota. So we sort of, you know, have to, have to play nice. Maybe we have, have to fa- play nice. We have, we have family <laughs> in North Dakota now. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, maybe let's just start with really quick who you are and what you do today. You bet. So yeah, I'm uh, the CEO and co-founder of a design agency called Lemonly. Um, we'll be nine years old this summer. Uh, Amy and I, my business partner, started it uh, actually as a out of came out of another agency that we had started. My older brother Scott and I had started a company called Nine Clouds, and um, this is like 2009, 2010, and we were good at getting the word out, but we weren't really. People were like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of those Nine Clouds brothers. Like, what do they do again?" <laughs> Um, and we just didn't, we didn't crack the net of really being good at one thing and really being focused. We'd sort of do whatever people would pay us to do as long as it was sure. legal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what we found was, you know, 2011, we see all these infographics popping up on the internet and it seemed like every third tweet would have an infographic. I mean, people were sharing them, whether they were, whether they were good or not, they just got mm-hmm. all this attention and like our brains just devour these visual stories. And so Amy was our first employee at Nine Clouds, and we said, "What if we did those? Like, you're pretty good at making those. Like, what if we did that one thing?" Um, and we start. We did that first. We did it with the Argus Leader, which is our newspaper here in Sioux Falls, was our first client, and then a big kind of new startup at the time called Zarly, and then Marriott called, and then it was Major League Baseball and Netflix, and, and one after another. And so that was the biggest entrepreneurial lesson I learned. There was the power of really like getting niche and being really good at one thing. So we stuck yeah. our flag in the ground of infographics and then Lemon Lee was born. So today, uh, let's see, we're 17 people um, and we help, what we say our mission is we design clarity. So now it's evolved from just infographics, eBooks, videos, landing pages, social media content. And then we do a lot of internal work too. So our goal is to make your message more simple, more uh, clear and just more interesting. Yeah, well, I know as a designer, I'm a huge fan. I've been a big thank you Lemonhead fan. That's what you guys call yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, I would love to go back uh, to the beginning years of your story and hear maybe during those first years growing up or in your elementary years, what was your first kind of creative or entrepreneurial passion? 
Yeah. Uh, on the entrepreneur side, I think people always ask like, are they born or are they made? I don't have a story of some, of some, you know, like I, uh, I, you know, the story, I think Gary B says he like picked the flowers from his neighbors, the la- the neighbor lady, and then went to her front door and sold them back to her. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have a story like that, but I, I, I have always liked, um, just creativity in general. I was, a, I'm a huge Disney fan. My family went to Disney world, uh, as uh, often as kids. I remember one time getting um, like a tracing book of the characters, like how to make like Mickey Mouse. You can basically make him with just circles, like drawing circles. I remember the artist. Uh, that's how they make Mickey. And I got really good at drawing, tra- like doing tracing, which I know as a, okay. as, a career, as a designer, well, like that's, well, that's not step actually, one. <laughs> yeah, step one. You know, so they had this book where you had like the thin paper and I put it, I love drawing all the characters. So mm-hmm. Disney characters or superheroes or Ninja Turtles. Um, but my mom does have a pretty big chest of probably, probably too much than more than she, than she should keep of, yeah. <laughs> of, of my drawings. Uh, so I love to color and draw as a kid and always had an appreciation for it. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I was particularly good, but, um, just really loved it. Uh, so that's probably the early creative endeavors. And I just liked, um, I don't think I'm necessarily particularly good at, at making things with my hands, but I love to think, to take ideas and then see them come to life. And so whether that's bringing the people together to make that happen, um, inspiring someone else to go do it, uh, that, cause that part, I definitely uh, believe in that if you have something that's in your head, you can make it real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I suppose it started just like coloring and drawing. I remember when you go to Disney world that they call it, it used to be called MGM. Now what is it called? I don't know what that, that park is, but they used yeah. to actually make some of the movies there. And every year you could go, you could take this tour through and behind, it was almost like a zoo behind the glass with the actual <laughs> animators that were making oh. the movie. And so I remember in like early nineties, you know, it was like, so this year we did Beauty and the Beast and we're working on this new one called Lion King and you got to see them drawing it. And I thought that was so cool. And I always wanted to know what the next big movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was with, they. I think they consolidated all their animation to Los Angeles or now with, with computers, they maybe don't have as many animators, but it still blows my mind now. I have a four-year-old and when we watch, you know, on Disney Plus, yep. that those, those movies were all made like one drawing at a time. Yeah, I suppose that's the start. I know you mentioned your brother already, but was that spirit of creativity something that was um, fluent throughout the household or it was that kind of unique to you? Yeah, I think my parents made a big, it was definitely they had a high value on art, on the arts in general, mm-hmm. like in our family. So growing up in Brookings, uh, where South Dakota State is, we were involved in theater. Um, you know, whenever they would be, a, when there's a play that they needed children, they would call up my mom. Like, okay, we need a, <laughs> there's four of us, we need a couple of boys, we need a girl. Um, so we were involved in theater there. She has still, still today, my mom volunteered at the South Dakota art museum. So they would come, they'd come into the schools and wear the white gloves and show kids like Mm -hmm. what fine art looks like and and tell the story of it. And so they were very, they definitely, my parents made a big point of making it, um, prevalent in the house. Um, and then music along with that too, we we all sang in choir and had to take piano Mm -hmm. lessons. I did the classic, like, (laughs) you know, did the minimum beg to quit and then grew up and of course wished I would have kept practicing yeah, piano lessons. <laughs> like now when I sit down at the piano, I can kind of like hack my way through it, but I wish I was better. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't think any one of us emerged as like the artist necessarily of the four of us, but it was always in our household. Yeah, that's really great. I think that's so essential for all of us. And I think it's something that we've seen a pattern in most of us that are doing it professionally today. So that's cool to hear. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think exposure to it is huge and um, just having a value on it. And, uh, you know, I'm big on, I understand how education uh, values STEM, right. In today's mm-hmm. world and with where things are going. But then I, I recently learned about this concept called steam, yeah. which is then adding the arts in. And I think that's so yes. important. Like I just don't want that to be lost. When it came to maybe those high school years and you were kind of thinking about your next steps, did you, did you have this clear idea of what you wanted to do for, for college or for your job or what was that like? This reference didn't hold up very well, but in high school, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be like the next Matt Lauer, which again is kind of okay. like, it's, it's, it's bad now. So I don't use that one anymore, but I love to, I, I, I did the high school newspaper and I, and I also, I think another reference would be like in the nineties, the guys who were on sports center, um, and, and ladies too, but there was like, you know, Stuart Scott and Patrick and all these guys who were these sports anchors. And mm-hmm. I always thought being on like a, t- uh, on TV would be really cool. And, and. And just telling people's stories and getting to know interesting people. And I mean, doing mm-hmm. what you're doing now, we didn't have podcasts back then, but yeah. Um, so that, I always thought that would be cool. Uh, and I went to college, went to a small school called Luther college, a small liberal arts school in Northeast Iowa. And this is maybe where the entrepreneurial mindset had, had kicked in. I think part of what being an entrepreneur, I believe is it isn't always necessarily like coming up with some great technology or building this amazing business. But I think entrepreneurs just decide that they're, they aren't going to take the normal path. Like they're going to, they're going to look for shortcuts yeah. and sometimes for efficiency, sometimes for opportunity, sometimes maybe they're like, they're a little lazy. And so, <laughs> uh, I was a communication major in college and I just did, I did that cause I felt like I was just good at it. Like in high school, I did theater, I did debate, I did, okay. um, oral, I did improv. Um, I just, I like to be on stage. I like to have the microphone, uh, and I like to tell stories. And so I did that. And, and it was interesting when I graduated, I actually probably the first first couple of years of my 20s was a little hard on my college degree as a as a liberal arts communication major. I'm like I'm not going to let my kids do that, right? Like <laughs> they need to go learn something tangible, like sure. something that that you learn in a book and you can apply in your job. Cuz I thought back to my my degree, I'm like what do I even remember? Like four or five things like Yeah. You know, Mark Marshall McLuhan said that the medium is the message. Like I remember that, but that's about it. <laughs> and then I realized no, I started as I got older. I'm like, what did I do a lot in college as a communication major? I wrote a lot of papers. I had to give a lot of presentations and you had to work in groups of people. Mm. And today as a CEO of a 17 person company, I write a lot of emails. Uh, <laughs> I, I give a lot of presentations, whether it be externally to clients or internally to the team. And we definitely work in groups of people. That's creative work. And so I started to realize, oh, maybe it was more valuable. You get those repetitions, you get those at-bats. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of how I think back to, so I think I'd be an entrepreneur, definitely not. Um, I started a, a corporate job in Minneapolis right out of college. Okay. Uh, about three months in, I moved to Minneapolis. Um, loved the cities, but didn't love the corporate world. I remember about three months in, I called my dad. They said I wanted to quit. Uh, he said, you should stick it out a year, which is like the most dad thing you can say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I made it 11 months. Uh, so almost. Yeah. And then that's, that's when uh, Scott and I applied for this grant in South Dakota. It was a $15,000 um, technology economic development grant. Okay. So we moved back home. He was living in Norway. I was living in Minneapolis. So we moved back to South Dakota and started what became Nine Clouds. So. Wow. So I, that's amazing. I just want to unpack that a little bit. So sure. when you were in Minneapolis, what was your role at that organization? Yes. Yeah, so I worked at a big consulting company. It's called Accenture. Um, okay. it's a 
global consulting company, huge company, um, stumbled into it because at Luther, like they would do these job fairs. And so, uh, and it's a small enough school where you have like a career counselor who's sort of kind of looking out for you and saying, Hey John, you like technology. You got pretty, pretty good grades. Like you should check, you should check this company. So I went and stopped by the booth and picked up a little packet or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'll apply just for the practice. And it was three rounds of interviews. It was on campus and then like an hour long phone interview and then mm-hmm. up in Minneapolis. But by Thanksgiving of my senior year, I had had a job offer and I thought, wow. well, this is easy. Then if I do that, I don't have to really worry much about spring semester. And I got a <laughs> yeah. job. I get, I get to move to Minneapolis. And so I, there's sometimes I rethink of like how I would, how I would think through that process today if I was that sure. age. But at that time, I was like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, moved to Minneapolis. I was what's called an analyst, a consulting oh, analyst. Okay. And basically, I, I would just do a lot of spreadsheets. Like I okay. was, at a, I'm, I lost most of it. But at a time, I was pretty mean. I, I could do a pretty mean pivot table. Um, <laughs> and now I don't. Now I look at like Google Sheets and Excel, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to touch this. But yeah, that's funny. Um, so I would go to the Best Buy headquarters in South Minneapolis, um, and uh, yeah, there was six thousand people that would go to work there every day. I think about two thousand of which were Accenture consultants. Okay. Um, and in hindsight, I'm so grateful and thankful for that eleven month experience because I learned a little bit inside baseball of how corporate works and. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned culture in my introduction. It really, yeah. whether I realized it or not, it that experience informed a lot of how I decided to build, ultimately build Lemonly. You know, whether I realized it or not, I was like going to this office with 6,000 people. I just, I just felt like if I didn't show up for work tomorrow, like I'm not sure anybody would even notice, you know? Yeah. And call me a millennial, I guess. I just felt like a little <laughs> bit of a a cog in the wheel. And I just felt like I didn't have enough purpose. And it wasn't like I was looking to rise the ranks right out of college. I just wanted to do something that felt like it, like it mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really informed how we build Lemonly, which is like, we want you to come to work. And you don't even know if it's Monday or Friday, like you're just excited to come and do the work. Yeah. That's really cool. Cause I know if you can learn from your experience, whether it's something that you don't want to do moving forward or something you do want to do moving forward, it's still valuable, right? So even though it maybe wasn't the best 11 months of your life, you still got so much out of it to inform where you are today. So that's still a really great yeah. experience to have. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that, and then I also learned, you know, without realizing it, um, I'm still like fairly risk averse, probably just growing up in the Midwest and being raised that yeah. way. I remember I negotiated with Accenture to give me a hundred day like leave of absence. So oh in, case, <laughs> in case Scott and I went and started it and just failed miserably or decided I didn't want to work with my brother or whatever, I could go yeah. back. And of course, as you know, like you can't really decide if you're, you don't know if you're going to build a successful business in a hundred days. That's not enough time. No. <laughs> but what it did do, it sort of gave me this like this forcing function of like, we got to make this thing work so that I don't have yeah. to go back. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but what I tell young people now is like, I'm so glad I did start then mm-hmm. uh, to become an entrepreneur. Like now I have yeah. uh, a wife, I have a mortgage, I have two daughters uh, and life is a little bit more established. And mm-hmm. if I were still working that corporate job, it'd be much harder to make the leap. So you have this passion for communication and it, you mentioned the technology thing. When did kind of the business aspect kind of draw you into this thing with your brother? Probably after we had started a business. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I think we have some pretty bad stories of, of from the business perspective. We were you know, living in Sioux Falls, which is the biggest city in South Dakota. We didn't want to quite go back to Brookings, but we had connections in Brookings. So okay. I remember this is 2009 and people were still realizing that you could use Facebook for, for business purposes. It wasn't just college campuses. There was this new thing called Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can find, you can, you can promote your services on YouTube. And we had a client that was a, a bar restaurant in Brookings and we would uh, like every Thursday drive to Brookings about an hour um, we would go down to the bar. We'd take a picture on like early days, camera phones of like a margarita <laughs> or a bloody Mary. And we'd post it on the Facebook page and be like dollar off, you know, margaritas or whatever in downtown Brookings. Yeah. Um, and then we would, usually they give us like a free beer and then we'd stop at home and my mom would like cook dinner and then we'd drive <laughs> back to the mall. So we do that every week and uh, we would charge, I think 250 bucks a month to do that. Nice. Uh, so if we re-engineered that, we probably were losing money just on the gas alone. Sure. <laughs> and the time. Or breaking even. And then we didn't even factor our time, right? Yeah. So pretty funny story. If we really dig into the origin of Lemonly, we had this, this bar client and we were like, we need somebody who's already in Brookings who can post pictures on Facebook. And, and that's how we decided to get an employee. And so we went to SDSU oh. to the advertising department and we said, you know, who are your best students? Someone we can trust who could go to the bar and take a picture and, you know, still get the picture on Facebook and not spend the whole night at the bar. Yeah. Um, and this teacher recommended a couple students and uh, we interviewed them. And this, this young woman was like, well, I'm, I'm in a double major of advertising and graphic design. And Scott and I thought, well, this could be good. Like if we need to design a poster or a little table flyer, like maybe we mm-hmm. could add more services to our business. Yeah. Uh, and that's how we hired Amy at 10 hours a week. And Amy eventually became my co-founder of Lemonly. So yeah, we never were planning on getting into graphic design. I joke today that I own a design business and I barely know how to use Photoshop. <laughs> to answer your question in a roundabout story, I think yeah. you don't, you don't learn how to be a CEO in a textbook. Like you learn that on the job. And mm-hmm. I mean, I took a couple of, I took a management class. I took accounting in college. Um, but most of it was just learned as we go. It still is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. That world experience is so important and kind of Yeah. And I think invaluable. that part is, yeah, I'm really, I'm a, I kind of consider myself a lifelong learner. I love to read. I love to listen to podcasts and meet interesting people. And that part, I think I'm, you know, re- I always say entrepreneurship, you know, if you can have financial reward, the freedom is, is the best part, but also like the learning, the, the lessons you gain, it's almost like hyperspeed, you know, the, yeah. I, I don't know what it's like to get an MBA, but I feel like I've gotten one over the years. <laughs> so, yeah. So when you were exploring this idea with your brother, was there, I know that you <laughs> didn't expect it to be this huge business that it was, but was there any uneasiness or excitement with working with your brother to get this thing going? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I, I don't, I don't know if I would do it again working with him. <laughs> um, and that's not a, that's not like a knock on him. I think no. actually we ended up, we ended up with a lot of, we have pretty similar skills. Like I think okay. Amy and I made a better match as having different strengths and weaknesses, right? Like yeah. I think finding a co-founder is so important to have someone to balance you, especially through the tough times, you know, the highs and the lows. And sometimes there's a lot of lows. Um, uh, but Scott gets credit for like saying we should do this. And, mm-hmm. and then I think I probably held a lot of it together in some ways, but he was like, let's go, let's make the jump. And so I'm thankful yeah. that he, 
push me to quit this job and like come back and do it. I think we, it took us a while to figure out our roles of how we fit together. And yeah, and when do you take this? And when do you take that? And we probably were a little inefficient of sometimes overlapping because today I'm a much more believer of punt on your weaknesses and, and double down on your strengths, right? Yeah. Hire or find partnerships or outsource to do the things that you aren't great at. Um, so find what I like to call like your genius time and then spend as much as what you can in that zone of genius. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I remember like we both were, we, we got an apartment together in Sioux Falls and we would wake up in the morning and like in our boxers (laughs) be eating cereal and then have our laptops right next to us. And, uh, I always tell entrepreneurs, like, make sure you document the journey, especially Mm -hmm. in the early days. Like I wish I had more pictures of just like, if I were starting a new company today, like my marketing would just be documenting the building of the company, right. Whether it be a podcast or photos or a blog. Because then you really bring people along the ride. And, and I'm sure you have some similar stories too of just things that you look back on now that you're like, how, how, why were we doing it like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For better, or for worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, how long were you guys uh, working together on Nine Clouds when you had that kind of aha moment about the infographics? So, we were two years into Nine Clouds when we started Lemonly. Um, okay. Part of the thing that we also did at Nine Clouds is we tried to start a, um, which now you look back, of course, at all your failed ideas and be like, oh, we were just too early, right? We were, <laughs> yeah. we were right, but we were too early. Mm-hmm. We tried to start like a local like online newspaper that we felt like oh. um, didn't really fit between the Argus Leader and then the big TV news stations. Mm-hmm. And so what, what would kind of now be considered like a, a blog, but we had like a WordPress site, we called it a newspaper, we called The Post. And we had essentially like kind of like a, a media company um, and what we found, that's when we first started making infographics and those posts, um, those, those blog posts with infographics were getting so much more page views and traffic than just like an article. Okay. Um, and that's when we really, you know, the internet was starting to become more visual right back then. If people don't remember, but used to be able to just post text on Facebook yeah, um, or Twitter was just text. There weren't pictures and videos, mm-hmm. Instagram, Pinterest didn't even exist yet. Uh, and so the internet became became more visual. And I think that was, we ended up starting Lemonly in 2011 at the right time, like on this rise of more, more of a visual internet. So from that experience of making what Amy, I know as a designer yourself, I'm sure you're the same way when you look back at your old portfolio, she just you know, can't <laughs> even look at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but some of those early days infographics, we would post on this, this website called the post and that, and then that's when we're like, wait a minute, maybe there's something here. Yeah. Um, Okay. So it was kind of almost like a side hustle when you were at the business that kind of brought you that, that realization. Yeah. Yeah. So for the first two years, actually, maybe 18 months, if you worked with Lemonly, your invoice would actually come from nine clouds. Like it was like a (laughs) kind of a project underneath nine clouds. And and that's when we realized like, wait, this is maybe a business. And then Mm -hmm. that's more formally when Scott and I sort of separated them into two companies and and that back to the point of having overlap skills. I was like, why don't you do this and I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that maybe makes more sense. And I, uh, I reached out to a a woman who I went to school with at Luther, who was in the same major as me as a communications. And she was the person that, that we all know that person. Maybe you were that person who took amazing notes at the end of the semester. You'd be like, Hey, look at your notes before (laughs) the finals. And so Sarah was that, and I kind of recruit, she was doing at a PR agency in Minneapolis and I recruited her to come to Sioux Falls um, to basically replace me at Nine Clouds. And although now Scott is in Fargo, um, 
Sarah is now the CEO of Nine Clouds and still runs it. So the company still exists wow. and, and they're doing great. And so, yeah, that uh, is the story there. Yeah. And is your brother still at Nine Clouds? No, when he, um, yeah. So when he made the move to NDSU, that was sort of when he, when he left Nine Clouds. And so sure, now he's sure. supporting entrepreneurs on the other side of the table. Yeah. And what he's doing is amazing for all those students and even the community. So. Let's talk about the early days of Lemonly. You have a co-founder with Amy, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so was it just you two for quite a while or how did you guys decide when to make that first third hire, I guess? Oh yeah, great question. So yeah, we started in August. And so back then, I she would design the infographics and I would do everything else. So I'd sell okay. it, project manage it, send the invoice, do the run the books, all that stuff. And although that sounded like I had more tasks you know, the design task was the biggest time intensive thing. Yeah. And I don't think Amy would even admit to me probably how many hours she was working. Uh, <laughs> Cause we would get these clients who would say, could we get an infographic, you know, in two days? And, yeah. and we would then, we would say, well, we're going to charge a rush fee. And then they'd be like, sure, we'll pay it. And then she was probably not sleeping to finish these projects. <laughs> And talking about business, I mean, we used to make infographics for $500 um, and now we make them for $5,000. Yeah. And it, how do we decide that? Pretty arbitrary. We would just throw out a number. And once people started saying no, we we would just, we'd stop for a while. Mm. And when everybody was saying yes, we thought, well, let's raise the price. Like that was sort of the economics of how we decided. We didn't really think about what we wanted our hourly rate to be or how long it should take. We just kind of just wait to see what can I get for this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of that. Yeah. And so I think when I started realizing how much she was working and realizing, and this is still true today at 17 people, a services company is tough. There's only, so, you only can work with how many hours there are in a day. Right. Yeah. And so yep. we, we had to find some way to scale. And so this is kind of a cool story. We, so it's like December of 2011 and we said, let's hire a designer. Um, we want it to feel like a culture fit and we want him to be talented. And, you know, for us, for infograph for Lemonly, we're, we're often looking for great illustration skills, typography, a good sense of like space and layout. Um, and there was a design website. You're probably too young to remember. So it was called Forest. And it was um, sort of like early days Dribble. Uh, oh, sure. Like Dribble wasn't even that big yet. And so it was this community of designers where you could post your work and then you could hire. And for like 200 bucks, we posted a job for 30 days. Yeah. Um, and we did some interviews and we actually hired a woman, um, from Serbia. Uh, and she, she was like the Serbian version of Amy that we felt like, (laughs) and they got along. Yeah. They both had cats. Like they, they had cats. I love that that's super, the distinguishing factor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she was a great designer and yeah. it wasn't like a, it wasn't a business offshore type of strategic move. We paid her a U.S. salary. She was full time mm-hmm. and it, it worked amazingly well. And so I'm grateful for that too, because I say now with this remote world that we are living in yeah, way back in 2011, we had to figure out how to have a remote culture, even though she, so she technically was employee number one about four oh, months later. Yeah. And then about three months later, employee number two. And, you know, we, in those early days, you maybe hire someone. I think we told the the next person, Ash, or we have an Ashton too. Nice. Um, <laughs> and she's still here. And we said like, you'll probably be 50% design and 50, 50% like project manager, like you project yeah. manage your own work. And I think she project managed one project and never did again because <laughs> we, got, we got busy. 
Yeah. So you never quite know when you're uh, early days at a startup, as you know, you got to wear a lot of hats. So, mm-hmm. and there wasn't any, did you have to work through a time change with that first sire? Yeah. So Anna was, uh, at that point in her life, uh, single and she was like, I'll work whenever. And I said, no, you don't have to, like, as long as we overlap a little bit, but she sort yeah. of worked on a, on a U.S. schedule. Wow. And then as we started to, we started to feel more like we had more systems and, and actually that was kind of nice when we sometimes wake up and have like a new design in oh, our sure. inbox and then I can send <laughs> it on to the client and, and yeah. they thought it was super fast. So that was always actually, I preferred having a little bit of that time advantage. I know today you speak a lot about team culture. Can you just kind of share some of the lessons that you've learned as you've scaled your team? Yes, that's something, a topic I became pretty passionate about. I think initially it started as like being a young entrepreneur and being afraid that our, my people wouldn't like their job and they'd want to leave and go work somewhere else. Now I've learned that there are amazing, talented people everywhere. And there's, you know, when people leave, that can actually be a point of pride, right? People have left Lemonly to go on and do often do their own thing, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, or go on to other great companies and that, you know, instead of, you know, we want Lemonly to be on your resume as like, I learned so much there. And like, I, I, I got yes. my start there. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of it started from kind of knowing what I didn't want from my corporate job. Yep. But yeah, I just realized like, I think there's an advantage here that we can take it, that, that we can use that, that culture could be sort of our secret weapon, um, mm-hmm. get the best talent, keep the best talent. We've never really wanted to run. And, you know, we, for the longest time, we didn't even use the A word. We didn't want to call ourselves an agency. <laughs> yeah. We are one though. So we have to kind of accept it. And so we didn't want to run the typical, like, Hey, you're going to work 60 hours a week. We're going to kind of eat you up and chew it, spit you out. And then you're going to move on. And so it's just important that you felt a sense of purpose and enjoyed doing your work. And I would say, I guess for the lessons or the tips, it starts for us for like with core values, knowing what you sure. what you stand and what you believe in. So at Lemonly, we have three core values of adventure, collaboration, and integrity. Um, and that's how we hire. It's how we recruit. It's how we promote. If we have to, it's how we'll fire. Um, and that just leads a lot of our decision-making. And when there's tough times, like right now, whether it be COVID or or how are you going to take a stand or should you take a stand on what's going on in America with Black Lives Matter and, and racial injustice? Like, well, yeah, we believe in integrity, which is doing the right thing and treating people yeah. the way you want to be treated. And, and we believe in collaboration, which is not just internally with the lemon heads and not just externally with clients, but even with our community and our country. Uh-huh. So how can we help Sioux Falls? How can we help South Dakota? Um, when you know what you stand for and what you believe in, it makes your decision making a lot easier. So that's a big part of it. And then what we've learned, you know, I think everyone now has moved past company culture is not like beer in the fridge or a ping pong table, right? It's not, it's not <laughs> the, the startup perks. world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We think good company, good company culture starts with like good communication. Mm. And so teams being on the same page. And so for us, that's things like we do a weekly all hands meeting. We run our company pretty open and transparent. So we do a company scorecard that everybody knows every week. So you should know if Lemonly is having a good month or a great month or a not yeah. good month. Mm-hmm. We do a weekly creative meeting for all the designers to share their work and get better. Yeah, it, it's sort of, we're trying to emphasize that we talked about how entrepreneurship accelerates your learning and your growth. Uh, I think it should do that. I think employees should demand that from their job too. You're not sure. here just for a paycheck, right? You're here mm-hmm. to do purposeful work and hopefully also improve and, and, and grow as um you know, whatever the titles and roles you play. So son, father, husband, brother, sister, runner, friend, whatever. <laughs> and we try to think about that as a, as a whole person. And I guess the last lesson I'd say is 
with that, we don't we don't think of company culture as like a family. I know some companies will say we're like a family. We're all so close. Oh, sure. We really think of it as a team because I feel like you already have your own family. Like you go home to your family, mm-hmm. um, and we're not going to replace your family. And also, you can't really you can't get rid of your family. You can't <laughs> yeah. your family. We're stuck with us. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so as a team though, like, and I, I suppose as a sports fan too, but it, you're, you're trying to collect, put this, this, this group of different people with different skill sets and talents together with a common goal. And a sports team is trying to win a championship and a business is trying to, you know, deliver value to their clients and then get paid for that. And so that's how we think of it because people do leave a team and then you find new talent. You grow, you grow young talent. We do a, an internship at Lemon Lean. And I think that team analogy holds well and, you should still be super close and tight, but um, yeah, we just don't think of it as a family, I guess. Those are all great tips because I know when when anyone can have ownership in something, it brings so much more motivation and fulfillment and purpose to their jobs. And then you're going to have a way better employee or a team member than you ever would have at, let's say, that corporate position, right? Where nobody even knew <laughs> if you would be missing. So kudos yeah. to you guys for building that up. Creative work, especially for a lot of your listeners, is is, is exhausting, right? It's hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not the one who's maybe doing that type of thinking every day, but I've realized that it isn't just something you have this tank that you can just draw from at a moment's notice, right? Like mm-hmm. some days you got it and some days you don't, and you have to look for inspiration in other ways. Um, and so we try to be really mindful of that and, and balance, you know, we have some clients, it's a little bit more mindless production, kind of get the workout and deliver the next sure. version of something we've already made. And mm-hmm. we have some clients who are starting blank with a white canvas and you got to do, you really bring your creative energy forth. And so, yeah, that's something too. I've realized is how do you spark, that inspiration for creatives because it isn't just this thing that you have 40 hours of every week. Yeah. I've really learned too that like it's all about your energy, right? And you have to protect, protect your emotional and your physical and that all of the health, right? You have to take care of yourself in order to be your best, especially for creative work. So it's cool that you, you see that in your employees. How has managing your energy changed now in like a remote world or maybe you don't get to draw from conversations or people uh, talking to people in person? Yeah. The last three months I haven't been at the office as much, so I don't get to see my three other teammates and it definitely, I'm an introvert. So I was like, all right, I'm ready to rock this, (laughs) like work from home. But that is why the good kids started is because I knew long-term I probably wouldn't benefit from having, you know, a teammate beside me that can challenge me and ask me the tough questions. And so I definitely miss that. I think my energy has been fine, but it's almost that that collaboration like that you spoke to that's missing. And so there's almost this other element that's missing in a whole other different way. And so now that we're, we're slowly figuring out how can we work together, whether it's in, in the office or remote, it's been a challenge, but it's one that we want to fight for because we definitely yeah. see the value in being on a small Interesting. team. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think some people, you have this like wide uh, range of spectrum of people who are loving this remote work. Some people are hating it. Some people are still <laughs> are like the verdict is still out. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. The way work is going to be done is definitely going to change Yes. Uh, after all this. The other thing that I know I've admired about Lemonly is the customer experience that you bring to all of your mm. clients. Can you speak to some of the kind of fun personalizations that you guys use with your clients? We sort of decided to embrace our South Dakota roots or we like, we say we play our South Dakota card hard. <laughs> and so when you work with Lemonly, um, 
you, when you sign up, you get lemon bars in the mail that we send to our brand new clients. And then when you, when the project is done, we send you a handwritten thank you note from the person who made the project, either the project manager or the designer, just saying, Hey, thanks Bill for working with Lemonly. We really enjoyed making it. I hope it, hope it's successful for your team and I'd love to work with you again. And, and just these things that to us are um, sort of the way you do things, right? The way we were raised, like growing up, my mom, after our after birthday or after Christmas, like you can't go out and play with those new toys until you sit down and write your thank you notes. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just something that we did. And when today, maybe six or 7% of our business is done from South Dakota companies. So not too much. And I think uh, when we worked with these big companies in New York and LA and San Francisco, this this experience just sort of blew their minds away. And they, mm-hmm. they, they couldn't believe that we would ask like, how's your family? Or like, you know, what are your kids up to? What's, <laughs> what'd you do this weekend? Um, yeah. And I don't know if we come off as like sort of these ho-hum, you know, Midwesterners, <laughs> but we just, yeah, we just figured it was the right thing to do. And, and over time we learned, wait a minute, maybe this is actually, it wasn't meant to be strategic, but maybe there is some strategy here. And so we joke mm-hmm. that, not really even joke, I guess we believe that South Dakota is our unfair advantage mm-hmm. because in design world today, especially with the internet, there's so much talent all over the world. And I think you need a good portfolio to like to show that you're at that quality or at that tier. But after that, like a lot of the portfolios, it's subjective, right? And you never know what a client's going to like or not like. So then it becomes more about the experience. Like I wish at the end of the, at the project, they would just say, man, this is the best design ever. I want to work with Lemonly again. (laughs) But I think that they, that has like table stakes. The design has to be good. Mm -hmm. So then we had to separate ourselves from the other com- com- competition through the experience. Um, yeah. So we think, think about that a lot. Yeah. The good design is almost the expectation, right? Like if you meet that, you're satisfied, but that loyalty comes with those kind of cherry on top moments. And I bet those lemon bars certainly do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> we've heard some pretty funny comments. I mean, we've had clients who say, I didn't share them. I didn't want to take them to the break room. And um, so yeah, they yeah. afford the lemon, the lemon <laughs> bars, but I mean, yeah. And I think it, it, it's proven to work. We, about 72% of our business last year, I think was what we call organic, uh, meaning clients who come back and have worked with us for the second, third, fourth time. And so that's just, you know, you get this as a design uh, person. It's just so much easier to work with the same, you start to know their likes and dislikes and you get a sense of how they think. And that second or third project, um, it's a lot easier than the first one. So you've been doing Lemon Lee now for what, is it nine years? It'll be nine in August. Yeah. Nine in August. So looking back at the last nine years, is there a certain project that stands out or even maybe like a team experience that you're very proud of? Um, yeah, a couple. I think I remember when we, I joke, uh, I said, or in the intro, you said I'm a twins fan. When, uh, when we signed major league baseball, uh, they had some 30 page document contract I had to sign. So I got when I signed it, I had Amy, I was like, take a picture of this. I'm signing an MLB contract because <laughs> I wanted to be like a major league baseball player, right? When I was a little yep, boy. And yep. so I got to sign a contract, but not quite the same one I maybe thought. That's just like a fun one. But we did we did an interactive annual report for about three years for the 9-11 Memorial Museum, which wow. is super powerful. We got to put in like audio and video and, and really make, try to take a museum experience and bring it onto digital. It was really cool. That's one that stands out. But when you just talk about company experience, like every year we do our company retreat and we get these people together, uh, our team, and we usually do an exercise, which is like, teach us something. So you have five minutes to teach the team something that you know. And it could be, 
we have people who have done like home recipes. We have people who have done (laughs) like stitching. Sometimes they do design related things and sometimes just something that's personal. Like Brett talked about how to make like the perfect Manhattan. I remember. And every year we gather for that. I just look at this, 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 these different people with different interests and different backgrounds and different um, lifestyles. And that I think is where I get, the most proud of what we've made over the years. Yeah. And be like, man, that these people all can come together and build something that's where the sum is greater than the individual parts. And um, that part of team building is just, I think, so much, so incredible and so rewarding. And and even too, the, that we've learned that it can change too, that people can come and go and new people can get added to that puzzle. And like we talk about company culture being like Legos, like you rebuild, you always have to rebuild it, right? Like it's oh, never sure. perfect. Mm-hmm. And so when you buy a new set of Legos, you, you throw it into that big bucket of all of them. Like when you're a kid, you know, yep. <laughs> you, build, you build it like per the instructions, but then you take it apart and throw it into the box. And that's how we think about culture, like team building. Every piece adds a new element. Those are some amazing projects. And I bet everyone on your team is just so proud of the company that you've built, which is super cool. Thank you. Yeah. One thing I've learned is designers have what, what an individual designer is proud of is always, it's never what I think it is, right? Sometimes it's the logo and sometimes it's like that problem was so hard to solve. Or sometimes it was like, I tried a new style I've never tried before. That's cool to me too, is what challenges designers. I never quite know what the next thing will be. It's like we seek problems to solve and it's like that thrill of finding <laughs> finding the solution. Yeah. And that goes back to that energy part. I, I, I'm just amazed at what you guys do that you can come to work every day and like solve a new problem. And I guess I do that in a different way, but Oh, totally. Just different tactics and different different uh, strategies. So what's next for Lemonly? Any any cool projects or? Yeah, I think one thing we're trying to figure out is how to make the business a little bit more repeatable. Um, in some ways, we, we like to tackle that, that plain blank white sheet, but it also can be hard from a business standpoint. Growing a services company, I think, is challenging in the sense of uh, you always have to start over. Like you're, you're never really building on top of what you've already built. Um, mm. And so one thing we're thinking about is is more like productized versions of our service. And so how can we make something more repeatable? And it's probably going to be a lower investment, but maybe like a subscription where you can sure. get a piece of content every month or get a bundle of things delivered. I think we're seeing like from my perspective of the agency or creative world is sort of the stretching and, and, I think where you don't want to be is in the middle, which is like we uh, kind of like a part eight, like we, we do something, but it's not like super high value. It's like a right. middle of the road. Like we make $5,000 logos or something like that. Like I think you either yeah. want to be this really great strategic branding logo shop or, mm-hmm. you know, cause then on the bottom side of the market, we have like a 99 designs or like something that, yeah. you know, just, <laughs> and so I know that's like nails on a chalkboard for designers, but you just have to decide where you're going to be on that spectrum. And so that's one thing we've been thinking about, you know, there's a time, there's times where I'm like, do we just make infographics? Like our door, when you walk in says we're home of the world's best infographics. And that's not really for advertising or marketing because clients don't really come in through our doors. I, I put that there. So our team believes it so that they sure. come in and say, yeah, we are really good at this, but we've learned we can't just do that. We don't want to like, cause ultimately what you, what you get from Lemonly is clarity. Like you're, 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 you're paying for outcome not necessarily a deliverable. We don't care if it's a, a JPEG or a video or a website. We don't want it to be about the what of an infographic or an ebook. We want it to be more about the the why, which is a clarity and understanding. And so, yeah, I just think the world is changing from 
a creative standpoint, software, a lot of software tools that allow people to be makers and creators themselves. Where do we fit into that puzzle? So those are things that we're thinking about right now is like kind of systematizing or creating some of the creative work to be a little easier to do. And then, and then simultaneously, I think we are actually stretching a little bit both. So down market a little bit with some of this, like more bundles or systems subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, we've had some clients now we've been with for several years that we're going deeper. Mm. So it's not just, it's not just the clarity of design, but also the, before we even make it, we should step back and think about what we should make or what's the outcome or who are we trying to talk to? So lovingly we'll never be like this full service agency, but to be able to sit at the table with our clients on like the strategy before we even, because often people come to Lemonly and say, I want it. I want this. They've already decided what they want, you know, and as any good designer will will do, we'll say, well, why? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And so we want to step back, uh, go one step earlier and try to help them figure out the why first. Yeah. I think niching is almost this ongoing conversation and every year you have to figure out how do we, you know, like you said, how do you split whether, you know, as long as you're intentional and strategic with it, you're probably off to a good start, but it's cool that you you're exploring some of those smaller pieces because that may function as almost a lead for you later on, you know, building that trust and that relationship. So you can do those more customized projects with your clients. Yeah. It could go that way. Or if you, you know, maybe you pay for that larger thing the first time, we don't want you just to leave and wait. Like lots of times clients will say, this is, how was the experience? Awesome. Like next time I have an infographic, I'll come back, but we don't want that next time to be a year or six months. Sure. Yep. So maybe there's something smaller that we can kind of do as a drip every month to keep you involved and keep you in touch with you. And so, yeah, I think that's a, that's something we think about a lot too. I would love to build some sort of software element to Lemonly. That's sort of oh. my next challenge. Uh, I want to build like a, a, a SaaS company someday. Okay. I don't know if it'll be at Lemonly or it'll just be the next company, yeah. but that's a model I think is really fascinating and gives you a lot of, you know, and maybe that's maybe the designer loves to solve a new problem every time. I like the idea of re- getting so niche where it's like, I know my customer, I know exactly what their problem is. How do I solve yeah. that? And then the challenge just becomes finding more people who have that same problem. And you talk about niches, like the SaaS industry has gotten so niche where you're building a tool for garbage trucks that does this, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Or like a, a dentist, but not just a regular dentist, like a pediatric dentist. And it's, you know, like that's where it's getting to that point, that, that yeah. level of specificity. And so, you know, their problem so, so intimately and you've talked to them and you know how to solve it. I think that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. But then it's tough because our designers want, they want each project to feel fresh and new too, right? You sure. don't want to just do the same thing over and over. So we're, Yep. (laughs) We're not sure. We're still trying to figure that out. We're all just figuring it out, I think. So, yep. Well, looking back to maybe those, your first job or those earlier years, is there something that you wish you would have, would have known when you were first starting out that you've now have, you know, you've done it, you've experienced it? I wish maybe it would have been a little bit more bold in some of the moves that we made in either being more confident about this is this is our our niche and our expertise, maybe investing more money and thinking big. I think we, um, in the early days, played a little bit more on our heels of letting the, the business sort of come to us and then react and make the right moves. I admire people who are like, this is what we do and you know we're going for it. And sometimes yeah. it, it's a crash and burn, <laughs> but we talked earlier, or maybe that was even before we started the, the call or the recording was, the speed in which you learn things, right? Like mm-hmm. how do we, I think ultimately if the goal of being an entrepreneur is, is learning and growing, the, the challenge becomes then how can you do that faster? 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and how can you accelerate? So you either decide if you're, did you solve the problem? Yes or no. And if not, then you can adjust. Yeah. But sometimes we've, you know, and with that comes like we, I think we a lot of let, we always have let our clients dictate a lot of what they need from us based on just trying to serve them. Sure. And maybe that's where like the experience or the South Dakota and the Midwestern in us sort of <laughs> fails us. Yeah. Like, yeah, we don't really do logos, but we want to help you out. And I guess we could do that for you. Mm-hmm. And sort of being a little bit more defined of like, we stuck our flag in the ground. We do this. We don't do this. Yeah. Happy to refer you to, you know, to Ashton and this, you know, they should do mm-hmm. that. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, being a little bit more like draw a defined line in the sand. And once you have decided that, then you can go all in on that thing. And so yeah. that could mean time. It could mean money. It could mean um, just clarity of message. And so that's maybe something that I would, I think there's so much fear of, uh, screwing up or failing when really, you know, it's that advice that the faster you fail, then you can do it differently the next time. Yeah. That's really good advice. Cause I think we all have a hard time saying no, um, and getting, yeah. you know, getting specific. Cause you said, I don't know if it's a Midwest thing or what, but we, we just want to help and we want to make sure yeah. we're successful. But really if we, if we accept a project that maybe was like a maybe for us, we're taking away that project from someone who that is their thing. That is their yes. And so if we can just support each other and, you know, elevate our yeses, I think that's where the magic comes. Yeah. That's a great, that's such a great point. Like I think the framework of either it's a no or it's a hell yes. I've heard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, if you're like, eh, or maybe sure. <laughs> like that should be a no, right? Like yeah. it's either a hell yeah, or it's a no. And I think knowing or assuming maybe who your audience is to the podcast, I think one thing I think that in the creative space, we often let the client dictate the experience. Like I want this many rounds of revision or I want it to be done this fast. Right. Mm. I think there's a lot of value in being really defined and like very upfront in terms of contracts and of, of selling work. Like this is how our, if you want to work with Lemonly, this is how it goes. Like you have to do this yeah. first and we do a sort of intake form or this kickoff call or this phone call or whatever you decide your process is, is just, being crystal clear and the more upfront and the more forthright and the more confident you are in that it isn't projecting, well, geez, these guys are really hard to work with. It's actually projecting like these are professionals and they must yeah. really know their process, right? You can't go to a five-star restaurant and be like, could you just throw in some cumin, <laughs> you know, into my recipe? Yeah. Like, yeah. no, the sh- you go to a five-star Michelin restaurant and they don't, you don't even have a menu. They just tell you what you're going to eat yep. <laughs> and yeah. you eat it and you love it. Right. And so exactly. I think there's something to be said. We think I'm a, I love food and I think about that a lot. Uh, I use like the food and the uh, restaurant analogy to lemonly. Like one thing we talk about is chefs will talk about like how many touches they have on a dish. Like oh. that was like a really complicated dish. Like there's a lot of touches, but then sometimes they realize that a more simple dish that only had like five touches on the plate uh, actually is, is the flavors are there. It's bigger, it's bolder. And, and so we think about our creative process, like how many people have to touch it? Like every time we go from project manager to designer to copywriter, back to project manager and yeah. feedback from creative director and then back to like, <laughs> that slows, that's more room for confusion, slows it sure. down, uh, different, you know, so that's something that we think about too. So I love finding inspiration like in other like non-related industries. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities even across the creative industries where if we can learn from one another, you know, that can improve our own work. So that's really cool. All right. Well, before we ask our final question, is there anything that I didn't ask that you would love? Oh, gosh. To- oh, I think we talked about briefly right before is uh, the sawdust, like finding your sawdust. Yeah. And so yeah. I gave a talk this week about 
COVID, not about COVID, but about running like your like being like leadership in a COVID world and how do we react to this? Mm-hmm. And what I've been, what I told like our leadership team at Lemonly is if we come out of this looking the same as we did going in, then I think we will have failed. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is like our world just changed, right? The world got flipped upside down. And this mm-hmm. was even before 10 days ago. Like I feel like it flipped again. Like, and now, <laughs> yeah. And hopefully this time for the better in, exactly. in, in the movement that's going on across the country. But my point was like, it, this shouldn't be like, let's bunker in, survive, ride it out. And then we'll go back to normal, right? Like back yeah. to normal is not, not happening. And so if, if an entrepreneur or a maker is listening to this and never thought, if you've ever wondered, like, I wish I did draw that line in the sand a little bit more definitively. I wish I, I wish I did. Uh, I wish I would have set it up differently or if I could go back and the things that you're saying, well, now you can, like you've just been given yeah. the greatest opportunity ever to change your business. And so that's one thing I would urge people to think about is like, what do you look like coming out of this? And I think the feeling is that like, we have to sulk and feel like businesses are going to close and everything's going to be different. Some of that will happen, sure. but there's also a world where a lot of businesses are going to shoot out of this even more, like even more stronger, more efficient, more profitable, bigger um, yeah. than ever before. And so I think about that in one way was the sawdust, which is, mm-hmm. I love that story of like a carpenter makes a chair or a table or cabinets. And the good carpenters realize that when they make that, they're also making sawdust that's on the floor and that there's something that you can use that sawdust in other ways. So they'll repackage it, they'll sell it, they'll, 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 you know, put it in other ways or even to bring it to, um, to South Dakota or to the Dakotas. Right. I think <laughs> about the Sioux tribe. They'd always, with the buffalo, the bison, mm-hmm. they would use every single part of yeah. the buffalo, like every single part, the horns and, the, and, and they'd use the, f- the fur for a coat and, and the food, of course. I think that's such a great analogy. And so when you're building a business as a designer, now you yeah. have a podcast and then maybe the podcast becomes like a course or, you know, how to run a podcast or you, you design artwork for podcast or, <laughs> you know, and so there's other, there's always these other things that try to find the sawdust in your business as a creator, as a maker, mm-hmm. um, which not only maybe adds a new revenue stream, but it also sort of diversifies so that when the pandemic does happen, you have yeah. other ways to build your business. Yeah. And other ways to learn faster, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Cool. Well, we always ask the same final question. Um, what is one thing you wish you were really good at, but aren't, and how do you work around it? I wish I was more disciplined. Uh, <laughs> so that's like more of a characteristic, but I guess the, yeah. uh, the, 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 the act of be, of like, this is what I'm going to do today. And then doing all those things. Um, and so how do I work around it? Uh, for any entrepreneur, CEOs, leaders, uh, Hiring an assistant was one of the best things I ever did. I think that's also a thing that we're like, well, I don't need to, you know, <laughs> like, I can do all my own things. Like I don't need to help. Yeah. But I, I, someone taught me the framework of like, you have $10, $100 and $1,000 task. Mm-hmm. And so at Lemonly, a $10 task is like taking the checks to the bank and depositing the checks. A mm-hmm. $100 task is probably like responding to email or talking to clients. But like a $1,000 task is selling a new project giving a talk, sometimes just thinking about the business, which most of us don't give ourselves enough time to do. And so how do you spend your time on the right types of tasks? And so like outsourcing all $10 tasks is the first thing. Okay. And then starting to work your way up to $100. So hiring yeah. an assistant was huge because I am not that disciplined. And so sometimes you need to force 
kind of have a forcing function to make yourself more disciplined. So I just wish I could, yeah. And I, one way that's been good is trying to, to try to train myself that I use is like with, with exercise. So like, yeah. So running, like I'm going to commit to running this many miles or I'll have an accountability partner. And so like, are you sure as hell? I got to get out and do the miles that you <laughs> said you would. Yep. Um, so I think there are other ways to train. Like I said, I, I believe in more focusing on your strengths versus your weaknesses, but you can train yourself sometimes through other exercises, but mm-hmm. so I wish I was more disciplined and until I figure it out, I'll just have other people help me. <laughs> <laughs> but you recognize that you need the help, which is huge. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, how can people connect with you, find you online if they're listening to the podcast? Uh, if you have any questions, you can just email me, john at lemonly.com, J-O-H-N. And then online, um, John T. Meyer on Twitter and Instagram. I, lo- I, like, I love Twitter and Instagram probably the most. And I, I always have to tell a story that if you Google John Meyer, M-E-Y, M-E-Y-E-R, uh, Google will say, did you mean John Mayer? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, and they'll actually ask if I, I said, no, Google, I know how to spell my name. So for SEO, I had to start using my middle initial, which isn't, oh, sure. it's not like I'm hung up on my T, but <laughs> I have to stand away from John Mayer. Makes sense. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This was an amazing conversation. And I know I'm so excited to see where Lemon Lee goes in the next years and months. Thank you, Ashton. This is fun. Great, great job. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Makewell Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. If you'd like to learn more about the Makewell community or get connected, you can visit wearemakewell.com or at wearemakewell on Instagram. All right, we'll see you next time, friends.